sexual health advocates say more people should be testing regularly for sexually transmitted infections and to be encouraged to do so by their health practitioners. There were just over 25,000 chlamydia cases, nearly 7,000 gonorrhea cases and 486 cases of syphilis during 2022, the most recent full year that statistics are available. This was an increase in gonorrhea and syphilis cases while chlamydia notifications remained stable. Sexual well-being Aotearoa, known until recently as family planning, says recent research suggests two-thirds of female patients have never had a health practitioner talk to them about getting an STI test, unless they brought it up or had symptoms. Those figures are even higher in younger age groups. They say self-testing can be a good option, but there are barriers to this and there must be proper follow-up. Uh, with us first, we welcome Dr. Tania Huria, who's Director Hawara Māori and Equity at Sexual Wellbeing Aotearoa. She's in the Christchurch studio. Tēnā welcome Tania. Kia ora. With us also is Dr. Emily Kavana, who's a GP who works with young people, particularly in sexual and mental health. Uh, Morena to you, Emily. Tanya, let's begin with you first. I know we have a third guest, so I'll introduce her in a moment. But let's begin with you first. What's the research that Sexual Wellbeing Aotearoa has undertaken and is now delving deeper into? Yeah, kia ora, Catherine. Um, thanks for picking up the story, actually. It's really, really important that we increase our conversations and our kōrero about STIs because the more that we talk about it, the more that it's normalised. And the more that it's normalised, the more that people feel comfortable going to get tested. So... Um, The last time uh, sexual and reproductive health questions have been involved in the New Zealand Health Survey was about 10 years ago. And so in between those times, Sexual Wellbeing Aotearoa, formerly Family Planning, has undertaken its own uh, surveys to just make sure that we're checking in with the landscape often, particularly in light of the increasing rates of STIs in Aotearoa. And so, you know, with our survey last year, we uh, we put it out to for about three months for clients and anyone that's engaged in our social media platforms to to provide us with a little bit more of their experience in relation to uh, STIs, prevention of STIs, what their current what currently look it looks like for them, and and also how they have been receiving information and where they've been getting their information from. What have you learned? Well. We've recently started to dig a little bit deeper into into our data, and uh, what we've learned is that actually access and inequitable access to the tools of prevention is one of the key areas that we need to do more work on. And so, tools of prevention are things like education, information, um, bar- access to barriers such as condoms, dental dams, self testing STIs, but then also access to to treatment and management providers uh, because the t- the testing is one part, but the whole pathway includes education and then also treatment and what were attitudes towards testing? Well, the attitudes that we collected in our survey uh, was that actually people felt that they needed to know more about when to test and also people needed to know more about how to access testing. And people really wanted to take control of that as well. So self-testing is one of those tools that we can utilise within our space so people can take control of their health. Uh, What we also learnt was that actually, even though it is a standardised question that should be asked within our primary care, um, that for reasons that we don't understand but we can sort of guess that potentially it's because of pressures in the system that actually questions about 
whether or not people are needing an STI check or would like an STI check um, have maybe dropped off the radar. 63% of participants have never had someone ask them, this is um, uh, women, right? Yep. And in the younger age group, 77% among 16 to 9-year-olds, over half of 20 to 24-year-olds, really by that age, you would think... Even if it was just an awareness-raising exercise, the question would be asked, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Right. And and what we found was that actually in spaces like sexual wellbeing Aotearoa, but also in our youth providers, that this is, you know, we, this is what we do every day. Um, and then potentially the because of the scope within other primary care areas and because of the pressures in those systems, it may have fallen off the radar. And it may not be a question that people think about until they're having to do an intimate exam like a cervical screen, <clears throat> and then it would be a standard question. So with our survey, what we're encouraging practitioners to do is put it back on your radar, but also increase access to options for people to go and talk to various um, providers around STIs and their sexual wellbeing. What was interesting is that one in five uh, who had an STI um, test felt it was difficult to get one. What were some of the barriers? Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, the biggest the biggest thing around access um, with STIs and, and talking about, you know, sexually transmitted infections is actually stigma. Um, and so feeling um, like you're going to be judged because you have come in to ask for something like this, where it should be standardised. Um, you know, most of our population over the age of consent has had a sexual encounter and so we should be standardising that this should be a part of our wellbeing process is, is regularly testing. Can I ask about condom use? It's an interesting insight also into um, the use of prophylactics. Um, what's happening and happening in different age groups from your survey, Tanya? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of things. One of the things that we've dug deeper in around understanding that a little bit more is that we've found that there is a statistically significant difference um, with access to condoms, um, particularly for Māori and Pacifica, which is really concerning. And so uh, what we're wanting to understand more by hopefully getting a suite of questions in the New Zealand Health Survey, uh, the next New Zealand Health Survey, is understanding um, the impacts of cost, um, understanding what some of those solutions may be around providing free um, contraception around condoms and condom use, but also the influence of partner decisions. So we need to keep that that corridor going about partner, you know, partner awareness about the fact that actually using a barrier like a condom or a dental dam is really important in, the, in sexual wellbeing. Were people reporting that if a partner refused, they would relent essentially? Um, that that seemed to be the gist yeah, of some responses, yeah, that, right? Yeah, that that was one of the concerning findings. Yeah, and also. Um, this um, situation, we've reported on it before, of people coming out of long marriages often, right, and, mm. and coming back to the dating pool, and it was quite surprising really how few people were reporting thinking about this as they, um, you know, um, began a, 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 a sexual encounters with someone who wasn't a long-term um, partner. Mm. What, what sort of insights did you get here? Again, was it a case of, of, of perhaps um, medical professionals need to ask the question or, or, or what did you find about older people and the, and the rate of STIs they were they were getting? Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's we've got to look at it within a broader context. And so our, 
you know, the way that we view sex and the way that we engage, um, you know, it's be, especially if people are coming out of marriages or go, entering back into the dating pool, and the dating pool itself looks really different, right? Um, so it may look completely different to what it looked like um, pre-marriage or pre-being in a long-term relationship uh, with dating apps. So we actually need to increase awareness within our older age groups as well about the fact that actually STIs exist and they don't have an age limit. Um, (laughs) You can get them whether or not you're 45 or 25 um, and we really need to get that education out there about about prevention. Just a couple more things before we bring in our other guests. Um, The chlamydia rates, which is a very common STI of course, steady, but can we talk a little bit more about syphilis rates, um, mm-hmm. and particularly among Māori and Pacifica people, three times higher than other groups? Uh, is this relating to what you were saying earlier, that there may be a particular issue with um, um, condom, condom use or attitudes towards condoms? Could you explain more? I think, it's, I think it's bigger than that, actually. I think that we really need to look at those drivers of inequities around prevention. Um, and so whether or not um, our, our population groups have got uh, complete access to information that sits well within their context. I think there's also um, a level of understanding around people's, um, I guess, their economic availability to go and access treatment um, and there's a whole raft of things. It's not just simply thinking you know syphilis is really concerning and our rates, increasing rates of syphilis particularly with the Māori are incredibly concerning but we also need to look at, at the inequities prior to that. So and are, are, are you alluding concerning. to access to um, access to advice, access to yep. um, clinical support, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And an increase in congenital syphilis, could you just explain what this is, again, uh, obviously concerning? Yeah, and so this is when, um, during pregnancy, that the syphilis is is actually transferred to the newborn. Um, This can cause uh, a raft of really concerning outcomes, including um, loss of sight, vision, neurological conditions that are really concerning, and and this in itself is, is something that actually is really preventable. And again, we need to look at the systems approach prior to, to, to what happens during the transfer of syphilis from mother to pepe is actually what's happened prior for that mother to mean that there was limited access to, to get assessed. Tania, with uh, the self-testing, what would it take for it to become more prevalent? And second, what are the issues with introducing it if it's going to work well? Yeah, I think, well... Um, there's a couple of things. Self-testing is really amazing for us to increase those conversations about STIs. However, self-testing, um, it, it, there's a narrow sort of inclusion criteria, and that is that you're that you're not symptomatic and you haven't been told directly that, that someone that you've slept with has an STI. Um, if you don't fit that criteria, then you do need to go in and see someone and and. Self-testing plus that conversation plus having the appropriate management and treatment is the ideal pathway that we want people to take. I guess the, the, the main bonus with self-testing is that it's putting it out there and it's letting people take control and it's normalising the fact that actually get tested. It's okay to, to, to test yourself. Mihi Nui, stay with us, Tanya, please. Tanya Huria. Let me introduce uh, Emily Kavana, reintroduce her. She's a GP who works with young people, particularly in sexual and mental health. Um, Kia ora, Emily. You're Wellington-based. Can you tell us more about what you're seeing in your practice, which is, as we said, mostly with young people? 
Yeah, kia ora, Catherine. Um, yeah, I um, am certainly seeing, I mean, Tanya alluded to it, or you alluded to it, sorry, um, um, an increase in gonorrhea, which, um, you know, quite a lot. <laughs> so I'm treating quite a bit of that. And uh, also syphilis, which, you know, when I studied medicine, which was a wee while ago, you know, syphilis was this thing that was gone with the sailors. And uh, now it's back, um, which is, you know, my first syphilis case. I was kind of shocked i have to admit can you explain the seriousness of uh of syphilis and gonorrhea as we said chlamydia very very prevalent it just doesn't mean it's not relevant or important um we haven't discussed um genital herpes so far this morning but when it comes to gonorrhea syphilis just explain clinically the significance well, I mean, I suppose there's a few things. Both gonorrhea and chlamydia can be silent infections, which means that unless people have symptoms, they don't necessarily um, think to get tested. Or even if they know that they've got an infection, they might, but they don't have symptoms, they may um, downplay the need to get treated. So that's that's one thing. And that can, both gonorrhea and um chlamydia can have impacts on fertility and um, can cause systemic sort of pelvic infections would be the the big ones. Um, But syphilis, you know, really is essentially fatal. You know, it goes through different iterations uh, through its life cycle and and as Tanya mentioned, can cause significant issues for um, pregnancy and and for a new baby. syphilis can cause neurological problems and initially it can be quite silent so with syphilis the first symptom that you might get is what's called a shanka or an ulcer um, but it's a painless ulcer and those can occur um, usually on the mucous membrane so on the um, genital area but also can occur in the mouth and if you have a painless ulcer in your mouth and you don't notice it then you can be transmitting syphilis to um, you know oral sexual contacts without um you know, an awareness of that, and and they might get it, and and they might not sort of um, realise its significance, and 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 as I say, it can have a significant kind of neurological, cardiological consequences. It's fatal. You the the, the but, question but easily treated. And, well, easily treated. Explain the treatment, please. Um, the treatment is, I mean, it's not a pleasant treatment. I have to admit, it's a um, penicillin injection into the. Um, gluteus maximus uh so it's an injection in your bum um and sometimes people can feel a bit crook after having had the injection but you know that it's quite once you can get the treatment it's quite easily treated you then have to have monitoring after the treatment so the treatment's not the end of it we need to make sure that the infection has actually been cleared which requires a number of blood tests up to 12 months after the treatment so syphilis is you know quite a quite a thing on the question of whether GPs should be proactively encouraging testing or asking um, patients of all ages whether they're, they're having STI tests, can you comment from your you know previous experience as a, as a general GP? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, look, I am a GP. I've been a GP for almost 20 years. I worked in mainstream primary care and in youth practice for all that time. Um, in youth practice, we we accept that youth have a number of issues and we do sort of a general screen to look at all the issues that youth, you know, um, mostly have, which is including a sexual health screening question. 
that's quite normal. Um, I and mental health. We talk about smoking, you know, substance use. Um, so there are there are a number of screening questions and and exercise and and sleep and things like that. With our adult population, um, look, I um, you know, have been a GP in a busy clinic with fifteen minute consults, and I would see people come in about a myriad of things. Often people bring a list. So with the idea that I would be adding into that, asking them about their sexual history when they've already got plenty of things that could spend, you know, I could spend an hour talking to them about. That's just the time constraints. It's the the age-old problem of of the GP funding. I have to admit, I I think there are, um, you know, I think Tanya mentioned uh, the, the shame thing you know if you've been in a relationship with your gp for 15 years and you've left um you've left a a sexual relationship or an intimate relationship and you're exploring um (laughs) your sexuality or something you're a middle-aged woman you may not want to share that with your gp you might feel embarrassed by it you know and and to those people i would say look your gp has probably heard many many things from many many people and and so i'm just you know, and by yeah, the way, you're allowed. It. One question. Yeah, what right. is the advice? Yeah, exactly. yeah, what is the advice of either of you? Um, and Erin, thanks for pa- waiting patiently on the line. I'll, I'll come to you in a moment. What is the advice of either of you for how to have the conversation uh, if you carry an STI, which many, many, many people do? Have the conversation with um, a prospective partner, new partner, because part of this, I think, is that people kind of cross fingers and hope sometimes, right? Um, or actually don't know how to address this or think that'll be the end of the of the date or the dates. Can, do either of you have advice on that? <laughs> do you want to go, Emily? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say, Tony. <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, I think we really ne- we need to be mindful, actually, that the way that people are connecting um, is quite different um, so you're and... not going to put it on your Tinder or your Bumble profile, but <laughs> no, but you're at, not going to. You know, put it on... <laughs> at, at what point and how do you have this conversation? And and from the well, point of view I... of the other person's perspective, what do they need to know? Yeah, and I guess that that is the whole point, isn't it, about having this conversation? Is actually to normalise. Um, the corridor around sexually transmitted infections, removing the stigma and actually making it a normalised conversation that if you are engaging in sexual activity that is not with a long-term partner, that you are able to have those conversations together with another partner who is also able to share that with you. So um, the problem is, is that we just sweep it under the carpet and think that it will disappear because many of the symptoms are invisible. But actually, when someone gets down the track and they and they require treatment, there is you know there is it's uncomfortable. There are long term con- concerns. So people really need to think about um, what that looks like for them and how they would feel. And actually, just talking about sex is a really good start. And Emily, talking about yeah, prophylactic absolutely. use of whatever kind is a way of managing uh, one's sexuality when you know you're among goodness knows how many percent of the of the population who is and and again is that is being armed with that information and, and having a um, and thinking about how to communicate that information um, part of what's missing in many people's armor is they just go along hoping yeah yeah I would yeah I think that that having if you're having sex then you should be able to also talk about sex, <laughs> you know, it's um, <laughs> with your prospective partner. Like, if you're going to do the deed, then also have some conversation about it. It's, uh, 
Yeah. On the question of self-testing, um, Emily, your perspective on whether it's an answer to some of this. Um, yeah, look, uh, whoa. It, firstly, you'd have to define what self-testing is because obviously we've got the new cervical screening program, which is with self-testing. We've got bowel screening, which is with self-testing, and those are self-testing, but those are, um, you know, an established kind of pathway. And I think, again, Tanya alluded to this earlier, um, there needs to so you can test but if you're going to test and you're going to find out a result you need to have a really clear way what you're going to do with that result whether if that result is positive or if that result is negative you also need to know again education Tanya mentioned this if if you've had a new sexual encounter and you've tested the next day after your sexual encounter and it's a self-test, sort of like a rat test you might not be positive yet you know that infection can take a little while to brew um with syphilis, for example, we actually need to check you um, a, a couple of weeks after your sexual encounter and then three months after that sexual encounter, you know, so do two tests basically to check for that infection. So, um, you know, self-testing is, is, um, is awesome because hopefully it increases the conversation and awareness of things, but it's not the answer, um, the only answer. And I think that there is another big issue at, is the cost of the tests, you know, who can afford these self-tests or who can afford healthcare? <laughs> we're gonna, and that goes back to that equity issue. We're going to discuss really. that in a moment with our third guest, who's Erin Jackson, the co-founder of Etty Kit. Uh, you're listening to Nine to with Catherine Ryan on RNZ National. Uh, let's keep this uh, conversation going and just talk a little bit more about the self-testing kits uh, for STIs. Uh, some weariness I'm hearing from our guests, Tania Huria and Emily Kavana, uh, over access to them and also the importance of following up appropriately, time-wise, uh, with further tests and results. Erin Jackson's the co-founder of Etty Kits. This is a home testing kit for STIs, which was launched late last year. Very clever play on words, Erin. Well done. Good morning. Uh, Mario, Catherine, how are you? Good. The Etty spelt like Etty Route, I imagine, uh, and Etty Kits, of course. Indeed. The, the, the etiquette of uh, sexual etiquette. Um, um, what, was the, what was the story behind launching these? How and why? So we never actually uh, decided to sort of start with STI kits, to be honest, Catherine. What, where we started was in the, uh, back in 2022 uh, when we did a research uh, piece around what was going on about the dating habits for New Zealanders across the Motu. And we said, you know, what's, what's happening when you're using these apps? And the thing that came out of that piece of research for us was that only 32% of people uh, who were engaging in apps on Tinder and Bumble uh, within the last 12 months were always using STI protection. And so that's where we sort of started in terms of identifying the problem and then looking at who was and who wasn't using any protection, which totally marries up with what Tanya and Emily are saying in terms of the scale of this, uh, kind of you're looking at the, the rates of STIs and the fact that people were going on dates, uh, you know, having a fabulous time, uh, but not being very safe about it. And so that's sort of the, the beginning of our journey into STI uh, testing. To that question of availability, though, access to healthcare, and this seems to have been a recurring um, theme, uh, $80, <laughs> it's, it's not cheap, is it? No, no, it's not. And so that's for the four kits within the multi-kit. I think I've absolutely took the, the access and the importance of the conversation around it. What we're trying to do is be a part of the puzzle because what we've heard from our research is that people are just experiencing huge shame, whakama, stigma, and either asking their GP, like what Emily is saying, in terms of they're in a new situation, so they're feeling like they can't maybe bring that up or they've got other things to discuss. They can go to a health centre, but there's either, you know there's barriers in place to that. So for the people that we heard 
from was actually an online option to be able to purchase it in a discreet way and to be able to conduct that test. Uh, and I'm keen to talk about some of the, those questions that were raised as well. But actually, that meets a need for a huge number of people uh, across the country. All right. Uh, you're expanding to selling the kits through the uh, through an adult toy megastore, I think. Yes, we are indeed, because what, what, one of the things about this in terms of shifting the conversation and removing the stigma was actually we, we know that when people are, you know, maybe making those purchases that, that they are talking about engaging in activity, uh, that, that actually we want to encourage and normalise this conversation that also as part of being a good sexual partner, you should also, you know, be safe and be regularly testing for SCIs. And I think the TEND heli, uh, telehealth provider, which is uh, growing and will undoubtedly continue to grow telehealth as a service um, also you're working with, just... Just to, to wrap, the, the, from your own surveying, what, what are some of the key takeouts that you found about sexual behaviours and attitudes towards um, uh, protection and then testing for STIs? What were some of the standouts for you? Well, the standout really was that 42% of, our, uh, of the people that we, we heard from, only 42% of them had ever been tested for an STI. And of that, uh, only 22% were getting tested regularly. So we know that there's a huge shift in this conversation that needs to happen. And we see that, you know, the ability for people to do, you know, to conduct a self-test in a way that we probably wouldn't have, you know, been comfortable doing uh, as a population pre-COVID. But actually, we have learned about the ability to do that. And that comes with some really careful, uh, you know, uh, sort of a wraparound care in terms of the like, sort of the support that we offer to people, you know, purchasing the kits to make sure that, you know, in terms of timeframes, in terms of the importance of follow-up and in terms of you know making sure that you know supporting them to go on that journey but in the first if the barrier to, to actually finding out whether you've got an SCI is testing where you know we know that actually that's what we're hearing is that that people are just not actually going down the pathway in the first place so that, that was kind of the key takeaway which led to the development of the Thank you very much also for your contribution this morning. It is 26 minutes to 10. You're listening to 9 to Noon with Catherine Ryan on RNZ National. Really interested in your thoughts on that, actually, in your own uh, experiences. Won't read your name out, of course. Uh, but things like uh, later life dating, uh, indeed, or just whether uh, shame or availability of access is affecting uh, your Uh, use of protection and indeed your preparedness to get tested for STIs. It is nearly 25 minutes to 10 on 9 to noon. Sounds like we could do with the wisdom of the crowd also on how to have that conversation.